cliffcentral.com. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on cliffcentral.com. Happy Monday, happy bounce show, happy sort of middle towards latter stage this January. Oh, what a great sporting weekend we had. I will get into that and more with all kinds of great videos and footballers trying to speak English and oh, so much for you today. Welcome to it. It is the bounce show. But first, we have a special guest and this is a very, very busy, very, 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 very busy man. Um, so while I struggle with my words, he is none other than Spoo Majikaliso. Now, we've had Spoo on before. Uh, back when we were talking rugby, but now, I mean, it's always been a bit of a big deal for me in sport, but now he's the editor of Kickoff Magazine, and uh, he's a man with not much time, so we're going to get straight into it, because I've been wanting to chat to this guy since last year, when he actually was appointed to a very high-profile job in SA Sports Media. Spoo, are you with us? Yeah, I'm there, Ben. Solid. Great. Great line as well. Um, thanks so much for joining me. I know you've got a really hectic schedule. I can only imagine when you get to the office on a Monday morning, you must have all kinds of meeting requests. Somebody wants this. Somebody wants that. So um, first up, congrats. I haven't actually spoken to you since you've been appointed as editor of Kickoff Magazine. This must be a, a huge step up for you. Yeah, no, it's an incredibly huge job. And I think you might have uh, talked me up a bit there in that intro. Um, you put me under a whole lot more pressure. Not a word of a lie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's been great, man. It's uh, definitely the highest profile gig I've been in. It's a management job, my first one. And to be an editor of a mainstream national publication at only 30 years old, I mean, it's it's quite incredible. I feel incredibly lucky, but yeah, it's an opportunity. Are you only 30 years old? Now I feel even more insignificant to my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know, I don't think, I know. My landlord once asked me if I'm not 39 years old, I know. Jesus, so, okay. Yeah. So, um, look, there's so many, there's so many things I want to get into, into this conversation with you. I know time isn't of the essence for, for this week, but, um, you know, obviously you, you've had a great sort of standing in media and, you know, um, critically acclaimed writer. You, nef- you definitely know what's happening in a variety of sports. Uh, I'm pretty sure you took this because you're just tired of speaking about the spring box, but that's my own speculation. So uh, the, 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 real, the real question I've got to ask is the future of magazines and the challenges that are with that. You know, is this was this kind of the most daunting thing you thought of when you took on the job as far as, you know, how relevant are magazines nowadays? Yeah, I definitely uh, took that as part of it. I mean, I also came in with a strategy. Uh, which we are, haven't implemented yet, uh, that we had to present to the Media 24 last week. And my GM, my boss, had to present that to the board. So that, that shows that I had to come in with something that is like incredibly innovative 
to to be able to convince them that uh, yes, we can keep the magazine going as well. I'm very very tech aware, very tech savvy as well. Um, and uh, to be digitally aware doesn't mean that you are suddenly going to throw print away out the window and it also doesn't mean that you know you, you're going to ignore the digital revolution so it's it's about finding a proper merger and i think that's what my role is i mean as much as i'm not involved directly with kickoff.com uh, i do oversee the kickoff brand and that's just one of the things that i have to take care of and just just on on that point i mean with the the the, the fake news uh thing gaining wind i think a lot of people are going to have to run back to their original news providers, original news agents, or, or kind of move to tech who are from trusted brands. Um, that, that's how people will know that what's real and what's not. I think that's the biggest that's facing us now. It's, it's not print versus digital. It's now um, what's real and what's fake. I think print and digital are going to have to come together at some point to, to sort of fight back against the fake news, against fabrication of news, against manipulation of news, uh, which has made things look more commercial or unreal, so to speak. Yeah, it's a very good point you make there because, you know, always when it comes down to it, you've got to think of integrity. So if people are breaking stories, you can pick up all kinds of bits and pieces, but, you know, it's about getting the real thing. I guess that the biggest, the biggest problem is, in my understanding, like when I grew up and I was reading Sports Illustrated or I was reading whatever it may be, I always thought like, this is, wow, these are real journalists. These guys are interviewing people. They're getting things I'll never be able to get. And I really looked up to them in that kind of sense. Obviously, as I grew up as an adult, and I've been nothing more than a blogger in my life, so my stuff is more opinionated because that's just the level that I run in. Some journalists will call me a bottom feeder, but you know that's not for this conversation. So I, I guess the difficult thing is, is there enough money in sort of print media and that kind of stuff to actually really sustain proper investigative journalism, proper journalism where people are getting stories rather than just sitting back in their office and going, well… I'm just going to write an opinion piece. It seems so much easier. Um, yeah. it's, it's going to get hits. It's going to get people to look at it. You know, I, I, I believe that this is becoming almost like the death of mainstream media is that I'm, I'm really battling differentiate between journalists or proper writers and bloggers. I mean, the, the line is blurred so much. Is, is that something that, that kind of concerns you a bit as well now in this position? Um, well, look, I don't want to knock bloggers, uh, at all because I, I feel like opinion, uh, drives everything that we do, uh, especially in sport. Sure. And, and look, it, it, it accelerates involvement uh, as well. I mean, a lot of people have, have found themselves to, to have skills that ordinarily that they never thought that they would have. Like you get a guy like Clyde uh, Rathbone. I mean, he's a brilliant writer. And in, if we were living in the 50s, he probably would write letters to the editor and, and that would be that. But he's a regular columnist in, in uh, the Australian press and he is actually very, very uh, accomplished. Uh, he's got natural writing skills, even though he's untrained. So this, this tech world that we're living in allows for that, for people to express themselves. And I'm not necessarily worried um, about about people having opinions, but I am worried about 
the investment that's been made to maintain print where it is. I mean, like I, I tried to commission a guy I used to work with at Times Media, a guy called James Otway, who is a CNN award-winning photographer, um, to do some work for us. And I, I showed him our photography budget, and he basically laughed in my face and told me, good luck getting photographer on that budget. So that, that kind of shows you that, okay, look, it, it's it's... Things are very, very, very tough. But uh, I, because he's a mate, James has promised that in time, if I do manage to uh, wangle a, a respectable budget, he's willing to work with us. But that's that's the kind of thing. I mean, you're a magazine. You want photographs. Yeah. Um, you're a magazine. You want time. People to go out there in the fields, in the felt, uh, at the back of Bucky's, watching the landscape, talking to people. That's, that's what you want. I mean, I think eventually even the digital, digital space is going to want that because the stories are, are out there. I think if we cut the investment in getting people out there is when we, we're cutting the professional uh, uh, right in the middle and, and we're hitting it right in the sternum. Yeah, exactly. Then guys just going to be retweeting something from two seasons ago trying to pass it off as now. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so with regards to magazines and just how magazines do function, just getting back to that for a second, in the past there would be great features and you can go to print and you'd be pretty confident that whatever's in that magazine will be relevant for quite some time. Obviously now people with a short span, short attention span, um, you know, if a story breaks, the story's almost dead about 10 minutes later because everyone's already talked about it, spoofed it, retweeted it, uh, shared it through broken telephone. So as editor, like what's your big focus as far as it, like um, magazine to magazine as far as making sure that all the content is relevant and actually really worth having. Ignore all the tweets. Ignore everything posted online. Just ignore it all. Ignore the fuss. Ignore the blizzard outside. Um, what we want to do is <clears throat> we we create the long conversation, the, the, the conversation you will have over dinner, um, the one that, that, that sparks a debate instead of re- being reactionary to what's happening by the snap of the finger, what's the latest tweet, what's the latest Instagram post, or what's on your Facebook feed. We're really not about that. Like We've got a full digital team that takes care of our digital needs. But on the magazine side, we give about finding the thing that isn't going to be on your Twitter timeline. That's Right. That's what we're looking for. We, we, yeah, that's it's that's the ideal. Look, it it's so difficult to get there because you need the skills in house of yeah. people go there. You need the drive as well. I mean, one of my main things is, is, is I believe this the the guys that we have are one of the most uh, talented teams um, that that still exist in journalism. Uh, it, then it's about then trying to get them to a level where they find themselves reaching a level beyond what they can tweet or beyond what they can put together for kickoff.com and actually have that thirst to, to go out there. And, and even if it, it's one story a month, but if it's a, it's a nice, nicely written piece uh, where you're speaking to everybody involved, if you have to speak to somebody's mother, to, to get the story done, you, you go do it. If you have to feed their dog, you just go do it. You just do everything sure. to get it done. And that, those are the kind of interviews, profiles, features that we want. And slowly but surely it's getting there. I'll tell you, we're probably not 50% to the ideal that, that I would prefer, 
but the improvement has been more than 200% from what it was before I came. Look, there was great work done by Mark Leeson and Nick said who took over in the interim. But if I dare anybody to compare the kickoff February edition of 2016 to the February edition we have now of 2017, and it's chalk and cheese. I think there's something that really nice in that last answer is um, the, long, the, the long conversation. Everyone now, and I mean, I, I speak on, I think, behalf of the whole fan standpoint because I, I like I like getting insights from just your everyday guy and how he goes about watching sport. But I think it's so lacking, this long conversation. People have these knee-jerk reactions to stories. So they're either with AB, he's a god, or he is an absolute money-grabbing whore. On the other hand, to use cricket as an example. But no one's actually, yeah. t- no one's tapping into the long conversations here, as you say. And this is why I believe in my ideal world, magazines will always have a part to play. So your magazines are reference points to start. It's your well thought out articles. It's your big, mm. bigger pictures. Social media is like that. It's like the garnish almost. It's the stuff that kind of, you know, you throw on the side. It presents everything and keeps the current and it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can't survive on garnish. It's, it's like when you go to a bar, you can't survive on tequilas. You all fall over. You got to have the long drink. You got to go with the beer and just, and, and pace yourself from there. So yeah. I, I think, you know, people aren't having these conversations. They are, you know, many, many of, of my sort of peers, it's like, well, magazines, what's the point? I can get all the stories online. It's not technically correct, though, as long as, as you say, you've still got guys who are creating these long conversations. I don't want to live in a world where there are no magazines. I mean, magazines, as soon as you grab a magazine in your hand, you feel like you've, you've, you've got something there, you know, you've got something weighty. Uh, in your hand and that's how they've always felt for me and I'm, I'm just like you I used to idolize magazine writers from uh, SA Sports Illustrated before it shut down yeah. I read a lot of the US Sports Illustrated um, these days I read ESPN go.com I read Sports Illustrated vault um, I mean I, 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 I like savor it all and, and it's 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 great for me and I, I read any magazine I'll read Joburg magazine I'll, I'll grab it Anything that, and of course, uh, SA Rugby, because, you know, um, I'm a long-suffering rugby fan. Aren't we all? <laughs> well, Samir, so, I, I, know, I know we haven't got much time left, so just to kind of um, close off here. In, in your capacity now as editor of Kickoff Magazine, you know, your your outlook on SA football, I mean, do you feel it's kind of changed because of your responsibility of covering things? Um, is this something you look forward to kind of getting? Is it, or is it again one of those things you're quite apprehensive seeing as, you know, takeaway sundowns? It's not a whole bunch that we can really be massively excited about. Yeah, look, I mean, there's nothing we can do as, as uh, journalists and, and media people about how the team performs or the state of South African football, but we can reflect it. Our job merely is to be a reflection of the times. Um, we can't lie about things that don't exist. Also, I don't believe things are as dire as as we imagine. Look, we're still unbeaten in the World Cup qualification campaign. We've got great youngsters that, that are coming up. We've profiled three of them, Gordinho, Chiefs, Mashambi, Advets, as well as uh, Percy Taos, done brilliantly for Sundown. So there is something there. We can do nothing about how the administrators handle South African football. Which is the big worry, and really. All the you know, that's that's a huge worry, but we have a responsibility to, to reflect the times, to, to say when it's going wrong, to comment, to give our opinion. Whether they take it or not, that's, then, then that's like up to them. I mean, conjecture is always going to be there, but the, it's very important to have the conversation, Ben, to, yeah. to just keep talking about the things that, that, that bug us um, and just get the right people involved. Just appoint the right coach for once. Back him. 
don't set uh, ridiculous mandates. Just back him, give him a, a, a five-year uh, unconditional uh, a, a, a sort of contract and, and, and just put a few clauses there to drive youth uh, to, to, to get us to tournaments and, and so that we can improve. And I think the same should be done at clubs as well when they appoint coaches. I totally agree. Uh, final question, Afcon. We just saw yeah. we just saw FIFA in a a giant PR exercise, I believe, of making it our forty eight team tournament in twenty twenty six, whatever. Do you think there's ever any scope for Afcon to expand, or is sixteen pretty much the tangible limit here, realistic limit? Look, I'll I'll be distraught if they increase the number of teams playing at Afcon, purely because it's just there's not enough quality. To, to even sustain the 16 teams that are there already. The best teams have certainly uh, risen to the top, Senegal, Ghana. Uh, sure, Ivory Coast have sort of started a bit, but you can already tell who the Egypt has also come out strongly. Morocco has bounced back. So it, it's, it's almost the same guys that uh, are being touted as the best are the ones that are producing the quality football and not much else. Extending that tournament, I mean, what are we looking at? Uh, we're looking at probably getting a lot more weaker teams that didn't qualify. Look, as much as people will say Nigeria and Bafana didn't qualify for the first time, since since both of them gained sort of uh, entry into the international sphere, um, so but they still they were weak teams at that point, and I don't think they deserved to qualify, so they would have weakened the tournament in any case. So. I, I really don't, wouldn't want a, a weekend I've got. A lot of people are worried about FIFA's World Cup, what it's going to be like with a 48 team. I was just worried whether there'll be more African slots. I, I feel like seven African teams would would result in, in, in more semifinal entries. Yeah, well, again, it hasn't been confirmed if those other nations do, sorry, other continents do get more. Obviously, Europe's going to get more anyway, so <laughs> it's going to be difficult to see how I it goes. Think, I think the whole thing was engineered for more European teams. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, final plug, where can we find um, more of you? And, of course, uh, well, it goes without saying, Kickoff Magazines are all good um, uh, publicists or stores. What are they called? News agents. Yeah, news agents. I mean, the latest kickoff will be like at your regular CNA or, or something. Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm Smoo underscore fundraiser. Um, I'm on Instagram, Smoo underscore fundraiser or at Dapper at editor. Dapper underscore editor. Super. That's on Instagram. Yeah. Right, so I, I agree with you. I don't want to live in a world without magazines, and I think there's definitely a place for it still. And uh, I wish you all the best in getting getting where you want to go. Because I know, as a young, ambitious, and talented lad that you are, you definitely will get there and then some. Thanks very much, Ben. Cool, man. Have a great day. Right, that was Spoon Jikaluso. He's, uh, as I said, he, he was one of my favorite ever sort of rugby correspondents on the show. If you haven't listened to this band show for quite a while, uh, I thank you first and foremost. But secondly, he was a guy who was spot on with the rugby and, um, he's just decided to put it all into football. So again, like a conversation is a conversation I wanted to have for quite a while. I think I finally found a dude is that magazines aren't actually dead. And I know it's everybody wants to go, oh, with a smartphone, I've got everything that I possibly need. But you can still get so much from magazines. And it's a really cool reference. And and I just think you look at comments and you look at how people go about talking about sport nowadays. Is that they lack the bigger picture with so much. So as great as Twitter is, uh, all kinds of social media, as great as certain blogs are, 
it's an element. I think we, we need to balance our, our intake. And um, I'm the first to admit it. I, I am a blogger. I'm a person who doesn't do interviews with people because I ordinarily get quite bored. Um, I poke fun at things because I'm all about laughing at stuff rather than taking things too seriously. So, I mean, I wouldn't suggest you just listen to what I got to say. Like guys like Sabu, he's a great example. Uh, and, and then some more magazines. Anyway, so what I want to do is get into the show now proper. Uh, I've thrown a bit out of kilter here by time, by, by Sabu's schedule, unfortunately. So going forward, this is how we're going to do the show. I know I've been umming and ahhing the last couple of weeks about this new format and if I should be changing things. If not, I've had some interesting sort of, um, insights and feedback from, from listeners over email, which I really appreciate. You can email me anytime, ben at thebalance.co.za. So how it's going to be going forward is we're going to do half an hour recap of the weekend, all the big stories. I'll try to find some great clips for you just so you start the week on an informed footing. If you are listening live, which is 10 a.m. every Monday on cliffcentral.com. And then the second half hour will be Sorry, there'll be uh, interviews with guys like Sabu, uh, just people of, of 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 worth in sport, really, who have things to say and uh, have insights to share. So, basically, what we can do now is, for extended time, uh, get into the weekend wrap up and all the big stories. But let's um, show that this show is a real professional show by uh, playing this. Is this thing on? You're listening to the Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Yes, indeed, that's the bounce show. Right, so the big story from the weekend, well, there was just so, so many. But I think uh, we've got to start in Australia. It's wide. Misha Zverev completes a quite outstanding victory. 7 5, 5 7, 6 2, 6 4. Three hours and 34 minutes. The upsets just keep on rolling at this year's Australian Open. It is reminiscent of Australian Opens gone by. Misha Zverev, you probably haven't heard of him, much like Dennis Ostermann, who beats uh, Novak Djokovic last last week. So Andy's gone, Novak's gone. Oh, it's all looking so great for Federer's side of the draw now. Roger Federer beat Ken Shikori. So he will play that Zverev guy in the quarters. Um, but yeah, we'll get into the draw in a little bit now. But let's just get some thoughts from Andy, a, 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 a somber Andy afterwards. Do you, do you feel do you feel flat, low on energy at all? Everyone says you were... Shouting energy at a changeover. Yeah, I think it's. I don't think I was flat. I was always, I, I don't. I feel like that's something I, I get asked all the time when I lose matches. It's always like, where you, you know, where you flat? I don't think I was today. I was getting myself pumped up some of the times at the end of the set. So we're trying to, you know, get a little bit more, more energy. You know, you know, show more sort of positive body language and. Um, yeah, and I, and I did that at the, the end of the match, uh, you know, in the the end of the the first and second sets. It just wasn't to be today. I absolutely love watching Andy Murray, Andy Murray press conference. It's like his guilty pleasure that I have. He sits there with the eyes of the world on him, and he's just like, uh, uh, <laughs> speaking about energy, it's just so funny because he's the epitome of low energy. Donald Trump would not not fancy this guy, but he's um he's gone here, huh? and it must be it must be like finally coming back to earth for him because. 
world number one. He was doing so well. And to be knocked out in the tournament that he's been five times runner-up in this event, right? So this was his big chance. Djokovic just lost. He's been five times runner-up. He knows what to do to get to the top, only to then be beaten by Djokovic. So the huge moment. But um, good on these on these these lesser-ranked guys. I mean, this Verev, that Ustaman guy I mentioned, both press conferences, Andy Murray was basically saying that, you know, he was good. He was just good. I mean, obviously, Murray wasn't at his absolute best. But these, it's such a competitive sport is tennis. These other guys are coming through, and they really are working the hard side to get to the situation where they can be real top-ranked. So no matter what Andy did, this guy had had a counter for it. That Istomon guy, when he beat Djokovic, um, he just simply kept coming at him. And he's, he even, Istomon said himself, I was amazed by how I played. It's like everything just sort of worked in the day and every shot I tried, it actually worked. So it's going to be, it's going to make for a great tournament going forward now. Uh, if we are to look at the draw. Now, Andy was on the top side, of course, being seed number one. And then Novak Djokovic would have been on the bottom side, so that they meet uh, kind of in the middle there. That's how it works. This is, I'm sure this isn't new to you. So if you look at the top side of the draw now, now Roger Federer, who did take some time off because obviously he needs to be managing his career, but as far as the fact that he's old, I mean, he's I think he's my age, like 35. So he'll take on Zverev, sorry, Zverev in the quarters, and then the, the winner of that between Wawrinka and Songa will take on that. So that's your top side of the draw. And then the bottom side of the draw, big thing today is we've got um, Gail Monfils will take on Nadal, Nadal uh, Batista Ugarte will take on Reynich, and then Dominic Team he went down to David Goffin. Okay, so Goffin's already in the quarters. He'll play the winner of Dimitrov versus Istomon. That's, um, well, you've got to think Dimitrov. Dimitrov's going to be one of the one of the favorites, I think, to come through. Bit of a dark horse, but that guy, bottom side of the draw, he might have that irresistible semi-final against uh, Milos Reynish. That could be something. Something indeed. In the women's side of the draw, well, Koba's gone. She's the top seed. She got absolutely hammered by Coco Vanderway. That's probably the greatest name in sport right now. Um, so she's out. So, look, ultimately, everyone's just hoping that Serena comes through and wins the the Grand Slam, which takes it past Diffie Graf. So it's not really much more to that story. I'm sure there's more to it. And if you're a women's tennis fan, I really do apologize for cutting it short. But, yeah, got to move on. Uh, it was a fantastic weekend of football. It really was. Now, of course, we, we chatted briefly with Spur about the AFCON. Now, the AFCON is getting interesting now. Um, of course, Group A has been decided. So, uh, Gabon, who are the host, all they had to do was try and beat Cameroon, get a goal in somewhere. And they had so many opportunities and they really fluffed it. Final move of the game, there was a shot on goal, which is well saved. Then the goalkeeper was literally on his ass. All that guy had to do was kick it anywhere where the guy wasn't. And uh, he managed to save it while sitting on his ass. Uh, you got to think that's horrible. And what makes it even worse is that this is the first host country since 1994 to not be able to qualify for the playoffs. So that's Group A. Burkina Faso, they they came good. They beat Guinea-Bissau 2-0. And now on the back of the 2-0 scoreline, they managed to get a better goal average than Cameroon. So they go through, top of Group A. Group B, well, that's going to be Senegal, really. It's, it's Senegal's uh, pool to win this one. They are currently on top of that one with six points. Now, today, Monday 23rd, they'll play. 
Um, they'll play Algeria and then Tunisia will take on Zimbabwe. So Tunisia is on three points. Uh, they're looking pretty good here. If they can beat Zimbabwe, obviously go to six and then Algeria down at one, one, uh, point. Now these guys were kind of, if you look at rent, uh, rankings for, by FIFA, they're kind of the favorites to kind of take this one, but they're languishing down in third there. Uh, they've played two, drawn one, lost one. So that's going to be Group B decided. And then on the other ones, uh, DR Congo, Morocco, and Ivory Coast. They are fighting out for Group C. Togo just sort of languishing behind there. And then uh, Group D, Ghana and Egypt. Well, they're pretty much going to go through. They're just so much better than the rest. So that's going to be your Group D. AFCON will go on. And one day, one day we can sit here and talk about Pafana being in it. What a day that would be, huh? But the, the big football story from the weekend, it just has to be um, everything in the British English Premier League. So just look at the results quickly. Now, Liverpool, great opportunity to sort of make some ground up on uh, Chelsea. And what do they do? They absolutely... Oh, Swansea have had probably one of the worst seasons. You know, when you look at a team early season, you go, yeah, these guys are getting the chop. That's been Swansea, right? And uh, Liverpool lost 3-2 to them at home over the weekend, which is just so, so miserable. And the big question has to be asked, is Klopp ever going to really take... um take on some new defenders he really needs to buy some defenders i know that the strategy sometimes is well you know we'll leak a few goals but we'll always back ourselves to score more well when you're leaking three against swansea even if you were to win this game five three you don't leak three to a team as poor as swansea liverpool on the day only scored two so uh, as you know with maths uh, three is better than two and now they lost that not only did they lose that, that game but now they lost second position arsenal are now second and they are a full eight points behind chelsea so, just to think Chelsea aren't going to win it from here is just, well, it's just foolish, really. Uh, Chelsea did play in the last match of the weekend. They beat Hull 2-0. Stoke drew 1-1 with Man United. Uh, Man City drew 2-2 with Spurs. Southampton beat Leicester 3-0. Shame. Leicester are being so screwed over this year. I mean, they, they lost some players, obviously, because yeah, it happens. Uh, but they've lost players currently to AFCON as well. And then Arsenal 2-1 winners over Burnley. So just to get into that, let's get first into the Man United game, okay? So we know Man United are a team that's kind of, they're doing better. They're getting back to where they should be. They're getting some momentum. They're not losing any games. They've had a nice unbeaten run. And uh, one of the sideshows from there has been Wayne Rooney. Not because he's actually getting some first-team play. It's just that he's finally got to the stage where he is the all-time goal scorer for Manchester United which is a huge feat in itself when you consider the, the, the greats that have played for that team. So over the weekend, um, Wayne Rooney did this. Rooney, Rooney, a goal! Goal, Manchester United, Wayne Rooney, goal getter will all time all the Man United. <laughs> Bobby Charlton, este depășit un gol marcat sub privirile lui Bobby Charlton, iată-l în tribună. So I've got to play that again. Goal getter, Man United. That's absolute gold. Here it is again. No apar breșele pe jocul colectiv. Rooney. Rooney. E goal. Goal, Manchester United. Wayne Rooney. Goal getter will all time. Goal getter will all time. Wayne Rooney. So yeah, he beats Bobby Charlton. And uh, after the match, Wayne had some thoughts about this. Uh, not the most eloquent guy, but you know, you gotta give this guy credit where credit is due. He got in there as a pretty early age. I think Everton, uh, Man United bought him from Everton, I think, back when he was 16 years old. And here he is, Man United's biggest or greatest goal scorer. Most fantabulous goal getter. 
All-time English leading goalscorer, now the all-time Manchester United uh, leading goalscorer. Describe uh, to us, if you can, what that means to you. Yeah, um, it's a great feeling, obviously. Um, it's a bit of a strange one at the minute. Um, I haven't dropped two points, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a huge proud moment for myself and um, something that will live me, uh, I'm sure, for the rest of my life. Uh, what does it mean to go past uh, a legend like Sir Bobby Charlton? Yeah, again, it's a, such an iconic um, figure at Manchester United and has been for many years. Someone, when you sign for the club, you realise the importance he is, how important he is to this football club and um, to surpass him today in goals is, you know, it's um, something I never even thought of. And, um, so, no, I'm delighted and um, I have the utmost respect for Sir Bobby and um, I'm sure, um, well, I know he, he come and dress him after the game and, and congratulated me, so I know he's, um, he's pleased in some way anyway, but no, it's um, a great honour for me. Well, good old Wayne Rooney, that is a huge feat and I forgot, he's England's all-time goal scorer as well. So he's passed some pretty big names and uh, even though he has very much passed his prime, um, and he hasn't been the most marketable of people when you think about it. Uh, maybe he doesn't get the, the, the sort of um, plaudits that he really does deserve. But a game that I thought was very, very entertaining of the weekend was the Arsenal match. So Arsenal were 1-0 up against Burnley. This isn't a team that should be troubling a team like Arsenal right now. But Arsenal, like every other team that I support, they always make things unnecessarily interesting. So they were 1-0 up, and then 68 minutes in, uh, that Zenit Gaka guy, sorry, Granite Gaka, uh, he got sent off for a pretty rash challenge. Yeah, look, it depends which way you look at it. If you're a Burnley supporter, straight red. If you're an Arsenal supporter, you think, well, you barely touched him. But decision stands, and um, it was a moment of madness that kind of then put a lot of pressure on to, to Arsenal. They then conceded a penalty. They went in injury time, so it was 1-1, and then deep, 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 deep in injury time, <laughs> Alexis Sanchez managed to convert a penalty for Arsenal, 2-1. But while that first penalty happened, Arsene Wenger was losing his shit. It was quite something, because I still believe this guy is like a tall version of Mr. Bean. And uh, there was pushing and shoving involved, and eventually Arsene got sent off, basically. So here are his thoughts after that match. Arsene, how do you reflect on what happened in injury time, let alone the rest of the match? Uh, two penalties, and... Uh... At the end of the day, uh, uh, we had seven minutes injury time. We played with ten men. I think uh, it was difficult, but uh, just before the penalty, we should have scored the second goal. And after that, uh, it uh, was a bit hectic. Yes, it was. What happened, or what was your view of the penalty they got? My view is that, uh, honestly, I didn't see that it was a penalty. and. Uh, and uh, I'll have to watch that on uh, video if to see what happened there. Cochrane told me didn't he ran into him that he didn't uh, make a penalty, but I don't know. Okay, what happened with yourself? Because in fact, you don't actually have to do this interview. You were you were sent off yourself. Mm -hmm. Myself, uh, I just uh, should have shut up and uh, I apologize for not having done it. That's it. But basically, it was nothing. Uh, 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 malicious or I just would shoot on say the word and that should have kept my control even if it was uh, in a hectic time uh, of course it's difficult but what did you say what happened the first we saw you were halfway down the tunnel 
it looked, in fact, to get physical with the fourth official? No, no, no. No? <laughs> no, no. I just went in after I watched it here after. Okay. I thought I could stay in, uh, in the corridor. Then. I understand. This is like interviewing, it's like asking your grandfather why he got into a fight at a pub, and it's just so bad. No, 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 it's nothing like that. So, of course, if you ever want anything from Arsenal, you've got to go to, the, you've got to, go to Arsenal Fan TV. So you, you've got to go to the source. This is the real horse's mouth, not Arson saying he wasn't a naughty boy. Arsenal Fan TV, you know, I've got a slight apology to you because I was slating you before the game because you were saying, yeah, well, you always fucking slate me. <laughs> it's Claude, of course. He's, that, he's still with us, barely. Or something like that. It was a lot tighter than I thought it was going to be. I, I thought that we'd get a few goals. And we were cruising up until Granite Xhaka with that, you know, moment of madness. I can't believe he done it. I still can't believe he done it. Put us under a lot of pressure there because um, that's the second time he's done a stupid mm. tackle like that. And that's, you know, <coughs> for, I don't know. That's four matches now he's out mm. for, isn't No, Now, another, another midfield player out. Mm. Well, on the flip side, could do a jackback, couldn't we? Really, now, can't we? <laughs> fucking. Break. On the flip side, a win, and we really needed that win. We really needed that three points. And Alexis Sanchez again, the man. Well, the man that's better than sex, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, but the way he took that penalty is so cool. The way he just. Uh, if he'd have missed that. So I'm I'm worried about Claude because he looks like he's losing his edge and now he thinks Alexis Sanchez is better than sex. He's he's going off on some deviant tangents as this old git. And I was thinking I saw well no, this is because my blood pressure's two hundred over a hundred at the moment and I think it went to two fifty on on that. But um oh, it's amazing, I mean you know, but still Robbie there's still a lot of um I know it's a great it's a it's a great result in the end, but there's Still a lot of deficiencies there. Um, still a lot of work to be done. The defence all over the place. Even the first half, they were getting behind us. Uh, still not, still not right at the back. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Our midfield is not closing down properly in the middle of the park. I don't think we've got maybe the right combination in the middle. Mm. Yeah, look, I totally echo whatever Claude's got to say here. I think it's nice that Arsenal can then um, go into second place because what that what that does is that. It creates such mayhem for the, the the real optimists who believe this is it. This is this is the chance. We're going to mount it from here. But bollocks, eight points behind Chelsea. I don't see it happening. Costa's looking so good up front for them. Conti seems to have got such a nice mix. He knows exactly what he's doing with his team. They've lost uh, three games this year. They've drawn one. 18 wins. Now, that's four more than Arsenal. It's uh, five more than basically anyone else uh, of the chasing pack from there. So just to look at this before we wrap it up for the football bit of this. Uh, Chelsea played 22, 55 points. Basically, there's a stat that's gone now. It's every team has played 21 and have had 52 points or more. have never lost the league from here. If that's a kiss of death, I don't know what it is, but I can't see them being overhauled here. Arsenal back on 47 points. Spurs behind them. All the teams have played 20 points at this stage. So Arsenal 47, Spurs 46, Liverpool 45, Man City 43, and Man United 41. And uh, as we've seen in the last few weeks, Pep Guardiola is basically saying, well, look, we're trying, but I mean, it's just not working. It's just not working. He's almost resigned himself to the fact that, let's call a spade a spade. This team is being, they're quite cuck right now, but um, perhaps next year I can get something more out of it. Uh, whether it's whether or not he's going to have the patience to kind of stick with Man City while they go into this, uh, it's been very interesting to see. Because everybody thought that this year was going to be so amazing having Mourinho, uh, Guardiola, the rivalry, those guys getting all heated, but when they're sitting at fifth and sixth on the championship, 
on, on the league table. Yeah, it's not really a big deal, is it? So that was the football covered. Uh, interesting weekend. Huh? And the PSL for local football fans comes back, uh, first, I think it's the first, second weekend of February. So if you are missing and craving, uh, some of the local stuff, well, if you are sad about it, then there's always Andy Murray to turn to. I think I'm a miserable Scot. Don't be fooled, don't be fooled, Andy is happy. He's a happy guy. Right, it's so another big weekend of cricket. So there's a lot going on at the moment. Uh, England returned to India. Uh, you know that they got absolutely dicked in that test series. Well, they went back for the ODIs and well, kind of business as usual from there. They, uh, they got really, really hammered. Um, they went into this third ODI at Kolkata Gardens. They're already 2-0 down in the series. They just didn't have the bowlers to ever defend any sort of total. Virat Kohli was just running wild like everyone else. And, uh, yeah, that was it. That was the series. So I went into this third one, which was a dead rubber. And England, well, they managed to get Kohli out for less than 60. This has just never really happened. So you all know England, okay? Bits and piece one day aside, they can all chip in together. Great. This is another fine example. They scored 321 for eight. And then India's top order, well, Rahane, Rahul, whoever they try at the top there, it's just not working. Thankfully for them, Yuvraj Singh has kind of come back out of nowhere, so he's been pretty good. He scored 150 in the second test, sorry, second ODI. He got 45 yesterday. Uh, Dhoni, this is his swan song, really. He's going to be gone pretty soon. But then Kohli was out for 55. Yadav, this other new great talent. They got some pretty amazing middle-order batsmen to India. So Yadav got together along with Pandya, and they got so close. They only lost by five runs in the end, so that was a pretty good series. Another series taking place right now is Pakistan versus Australia. And you just get the impression that Pakistan are over it now. They went there for the test series, um, got hammered, got absolutely, absolutely hammered. And, um, well, in the ODIs, they're not exactly doing any better. Fourth ODI, it was 2-1 to the Aussies going to this one. And, um, Australia won by 86 runs. They put 353 on the board with Warner getting 130, pretty casually, 119 balls. And then after that, well, Sajil Khan, he had a decent bat, but outside of that, there was nothing. So, the big focus for us in South Africa this weekend was the T20 series against Sri Lanka. Again, same old story. The away team comes for a test series, gets absolutely knocked into bits and pieces, and then they play the ODI stuff, and these guys are just literally, they're a shaking shell. So we saw that uh, the first game was taking place in Centurion, unfortunately with some seasonal rain there. So the game got uh, curtailed to all of 10 overs. And then in a complete... Turnaround, absolutely shock kind of um, happening. They prepared a slow and turning kind of pitch for the Wanderers. Now, we all know that the Wanderers is a hard and fast pitch. That's kind of what we all get in for. You know, people spend decent money to go watch these T20 internationals. They're expecting big runs. That Wanderers pitch generally has an average score of around 170, 375 around there. Proteas got bugger all. 
and um, went on to lose a match that, well, they had no business losing. But it's good to see the Sri Lankans did manage to hold on. It was one of the funniest uh, T20s I've seen quite some time. Firstly, the protests were crap. No doubt about it. The pitch, I know, wasn't great, but the guys didn't adapt. And uh, here are the thoughts of Captain Fohan Behardin before I elaborate a bit more from my take of this. Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing coming to the boarding um, and getting a slow turner. You know, normally when you come here to the boring, you expect pace and bounce and lots of runs and fours and sixes. Uh, not so today. I think we we, we didn't assess quickly enough. Um, we thought we did, but, you know, the nature of the wicket brought the Sri Lankan spinners into the game. Noticeably, the left-arm Chinaman, who was the star for them today, picked up wickets. You remember what I said at the end of the year? Can we please do away with this derogatory term, left-arm Chinaman? He's a leg spin bowler with a left arm left arm people are people too okay damn it and now see Fran Bardini was doing so well as captain until he made that slur it's on a regular basis and it uh, just stunted our momentum going forward we lost wickets at crucial moments and we couldn't get any momentum any partnerships uh, which is crucial especially on a low slow it's difficult for the new batter to come in yeah look at something that we haven't faced before it's his T20 international debut um the guys struggled. I mean, it was evident to see. Uh, you know, we obviously we will go back and have some some analysis, and you know, we'll come up with some game plans in, in Cape Town. Hopefully, the wicket won't be um, as low or slow. So, you know, they might change their team based on the wicket. Might be some pace and bounce in Cape Town. Always seems to be a little bit of bounce. So, um, yeah, we'll plan accordingly. Uh, come tomorrow and Tuesday, if they do pick him again. Yeah, I said it in, uh, as I walked off the field. Um, the last game, you know, I think a superstar is born. Okay, we'll get into that a bit because, of course, we all know he's talking about. But if you are a betting man, you can bet pretty much anything that this third T20 is going to be all the proteas. It's going to be hard and as bouncy as possible. It's going to be the exact opposite of whatever <laughs> that that thing was yesterday at the Wonders, which nobody nobody knew what was happening with. Plus, the third T20, SA are bringing back all their sort of big guns. So guys like John John Smuts, um, Debrain. A couple other guys who've been kind of given a chance. I don't think they're going to be seeing uh, Newland's action. But yeah, onto the star of the weekend, as brought up here by Fahan Berdin. He uh, he seems to thrive in the limelight. I don't want to put too much pressure on him. He's only twenty years old, but uh, yeah, he, you know, if he keeps his head on the ground, and he'll he'll have a long career. He, he bowled out of his skin. He bowled with good pace and good bounce, even on a sluggish wicket. And he got the breakthroughs fast that we needed. You know, he got three wickets in his first three overs, and he got a breakthrough in his fourth over, you know, so he was somebody that we, you know, we turned to, to look, uh, to, to strike, and um, I'm really, I'm really pleased for him. I think if he's managed properly, you know, he's, uh, like I've mentioned, he's, he's only 20 years old, you know, a lot has come thick. Sorry, we, we're of course talking about Lungi and Giddy here, just in case you, you missed that. And fast, he's been the standout bowler in two T20 Challenge Finals, you know, at Supersport Park, he's been standout bowler in his first two 20 Internationals. Um, you know, we, if, if managed properly and, and looked after, um, there's every chance he'll, he'll play every form of South Africa. Damn right. And, and you know, we, we saw it with uh, KG Rabada as well. He came onto the scene after doing very well in the age group levels. And we thought, how the hell is this guy going straight from being, he's getting his debut, to now he's kind of bowling very, very well, to kind of like everyone's relying on him. And that's exactly what's kind of happening here. Yesterday, that protest lineup looked completely crap. It looked it looked terrible with no penetration whatsoever. The Sri Lankans were just picking off the runs here and there. The moment that Ngidi got the ball, 
it was like a different game. It was a different pitch. It was a different atmosphere. The batsmen were just so kind of tentative. They didn't know what they were doing. This kid is a real talent. And I do say kid, not in a derogatory sense, because he's so young, but he is only 20. He's all of 20 years old. And the composure and the presence that this guy has got at the crease, like he's a big, strong dude. He really is. He's got a real great structure to him. You've got to think as a fast bowler. The management with, with him is going to be very much of a physical sense because if this guy can just always kind of be in the sweet spot as far as just fitness is concerned, let's not worry about form here. If this guy can stay fit and firing, and uh, when you think you've got the likes of the players that we've got right now, and of course he is another example of amazing talent that's coming through here. I mean, this team is going to have something very, very special in three, four years' time. When you think how much experience that Rabada is going to have at that stage, you think of the experience that Zingiri going to have at that stage. If I was other teams, I would, yeah, you, you got to be very, very fearful of what the South African cricket uh, team is going to have over all the uh, different formats. So that was, um, yeah, it was disappointing as a match is concerned. It really was, but it was also good just to kind of see Angelo Matthews. On the right side of a press conference for once. He's had a tough time here. He really has. And this is after hitting the winning runs basically on one leg. You hold your nerves superbly. I mean, it must have been tough there with all the wickets going around. Yeah, I thought, you know, I had to bat till the end because we were we kept losing wickets and, you know, somebody had to, a batsman or two had to stay at the other end, uh, you know, while the others went after the bowling. Fortunately for me, I had to, uh, you know, I stayed there till the end. But, you know, Sandakan deserves this, you know, more than me. You and uh, Chandamal played superbly. Little partnership was so vital. The, the experience came through at the right time. Yeah, it was just run a ball at the time that we went onto the crease, and we just knew that you know we just couldn't lose you know any more wickets. We we don't have you know much you know experience in our batting lineup, so we had to bat through. So we just you know talked about it. We said you know we'll just you know milk it through and and try and bat till the end. And you must have enjoyed finishing with a flourish in that last over, two sixes. Yeah, I had to go because I couldn't run. So I had to go and, you know, Kule said, you know, well, Kule can hit a long ball as well, so is Isuru. So, uh, yeah, fortunately, I got the strike and, you know, I was able to do it. Well played yourself, brilliant performance. Well done on the team winning the first game in, on this tour. And uh, all the best with the injury. I hope it takes shorter than you expect. Thank you. Thank you. Well, no, Angelo's pretty scrapped. Uh, he's pretty screwed, actually. So you're not going to see him, I don't think, in that third T20. But just getting back to the point of this game being so interesting is that you obviously expect big runs. But T20 crickets, this is another thing that's just showing the maturity of this game, is that the low scorer can still be actually very interesting. Now, obviously, the, the mitigating factors here are the fact that um, the Proteus batted terribly. Um, the Sri Lankan team is not a good side whatsoever. So there are a lot of things that leveled everything out here. But it was a great game. But just getting on to this Singidi again, watching him play yesterday, if you haven't seen the highlights of this match, uh, not to worry. When the blog post of this show goes up around midday Monday today, if you're listening live, then I'll put the highlights on there and just watch this guy bowl. Watch how good he is through the crease and just watch how these batsmen were just kind of cucking themselves. Bear in mind, he started bowling and all the Sri Lankans needed was 114. A little bit short, and he's picked up a wicket. He's struck. The 20-year-old has struck. Man of the match he was in his first game for South Africa. He's picked up an early wicket here. That's what they need, and Gidi is on the board again. That was quick. Cramped him up to space. Dananjay De Silva had nowhere to go. So he's about early 140s pace-wise, but you can definitely see he's got more there. Start knocked it back. That was not a good shot. On target from Ngidi. 
He's got a couple in, three balls. So really good stuff from the young speedster. All while Wayne Parnell wasn't really doing the same. Nick Dutz. He's got another one. Indeed, he's got himself his third. That is outstanding stuff from this young speedster. Brilliant. Yeah, it's great to see it. Great prospect, and it makes you feel so happy that there's great talent coming through in this country. Right, so a final thing for the weekend was the golf. There was the Abu Dhabi Championship, which unfortunately did not have Roy McIlroy because of that stress fracture that he sustained while he was in South Africa, really playing the SA Open. As I spoke about last week, there was such an incredible event that, and obviously Rory being here really made it. So there was just tens of thousands of people watching golf over the weekend, which was an amazing sight. It really is such a great live spectacle. And to be that close to one of sports true superstars, I'm not saying in a golfing sense, but one of sports true superstars, it was really great. So he was missing, but uh, Dustin Johnson was there. Ricky Fowler was there defending his champion, Martin defending his title, uh, Martin Kalmer, Henry Stenson, a lot of the big names. But it was Tommy Fleetwood who actually won it there. He beating a very, very star side of the field. There's a good guy to look out for in the future as well. He's a good game. He's pretty hardy, um, fearless a lot of the time. So he won that one. And then um, in the European, sorry, on the American tour, there was the eighth ever 59 shots over the weekend. And that was a Canadian guy, actually. And his name was... Um, Adam Hadwood. So we saw Justin Thomas heading a 59 in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago en route to the new scoring record for the PGA Tour at the Sony Open. So Adam Hadwood scored a 59 on the Saturday, and he was actually then just pipped at the post by Hudson Swafford. He is the career builder challenge winner. Uh, Hudson Swafford beating Hadwood by one point. Sorry, one shot. What the hell am I talking about? One shot. Um, which kind of wraps up for the, for this week. There's all your sort of big happenings. There's, uh, still lots of cricket to come. Wednesday, uh, this week will be the decider between SA and Sri Lanka. Is it going to have Ebony Villiers in? Well, he had a very brisk hundred in his first game back in an amateur match, um, up here in Gauteng. So if he's going to be fast tracked into the team, very interesting to see because he is going to captain. Uh, the ODI side. So, you know, if he's going to be doing that, you would see he would definitely be playing this T20 match coming up on Wednesday. And if he does, well, what a cool side it's going to be. What kind of reception he'll get from the crowd with all these test match uh, ummings and orings and people having their opinions. be very interesting to see what kind of reception he gets. But I think as Abby Develez, he should get nothing more, sorry, nothing less than the reception that he needs. He's a true superstar. And I'll leave you with that thought as I play out with the awkward reporter, from the European Tour. The European Tour does such amazing stuff to cover their their great product that is a truly global golf tour. And now they've got a new guy looks at things just being very awkward. <laughs> Alright, Tom, let's have some fun with this one. On it. Okay, we got Rick. Okay, so he's got Nicholas Colsarts and Chris Wood in a control booth telling this guy to go and say really awkward things to the golfers as they go into the first tee. Fowler coming up. Give us the longest sound check in history. Yeah, sure. Uh, one, two. Check one, two. Sorry, Ricky. Yeah, ch- uh, check one, two. One, two. Yeah, keep, going. Going. keep going. Keep going. Surround sound. Sorry about this. <laughs> Surround sound. And again, and again. Ketchup. <laughs> well, sorry, just to, uh, with miners, can you just say ketchup three times? They've got sound problems at the back. Ketchup. 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 Thanks very much, Ricky. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Enrich Stenson's up. Ask him the same questions as many times as possible. Um, um, so uh, it was a good year for you last year. Are you f- uh, feeling good going into this one? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm coming off the best season of my career, so uh, very pleased with the with the way uh, 2016 went. And uh, I hope I can carry on this year. And I mean, what a year it was for you last year. I mean, are you hoping for more of the same 2017? That'd be nice. Uh, do it again, do it again. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Well, we're going to go live now, so same questions. Um, good year for you last year. You feeling good going into this one? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, played uh, played some really good golf and won some great tournaments. So uh, I'd hope I can do the same. Brilliant. And you had a, you had a, you had a great year in 2016, 17. <laughs> hoping for the same thing. Yeah. Keep brilliant. going. Brilliant. Okay. Can we just get one more take of that? Sorry, it's just we're doing it for the thing. Um, uh, good year for you last year. Feeling good going into this one? Yeah. I mean, what, are you rushing on purpose or? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, like everything else that you heard, I will put all the videos up on thebounce.co.za. So whatever you've missed, whatever you didn't get, you can get everything on thebounce.co.za. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll catch you back next week. More interviews, more news, more everything in sport that you really, really like. Thanks for listening. Catch you then.